Section 12 of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Estenson. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Chapter 12 Beauty Becomes Immortal. It was the good custom of Mark Brace to close the day with prayer, and sometimes a word or two of the psalms for the day penetrated the seducously deaf ears of Doris. Such happened to be the case one August night, and set the beauty thinking. She was perched on the sill of the dairy window next morning, watching Maddie make butter, but her brow wore a perplexed frown and a look of curiosity not provoked by butter-making, was in her blue eyes. "'What is the matter? What are you thinking of, Doris?' "'I'm thinking that I am an example of Scripture truth.' "'In what particular?' asked Mattie. "'In the particular of tumbling into the pit, or catching in the net, duly set forth by me for other people. "'I don't understand you.' then you are even duller than usual. And as I may no more speak in parables, I will expound myself clearly. I deliberately endeavored to entrap and entangle Earl Moray into loving me for my summer pastime. I did not duly consider that I might fall in love with him myself. Why not, if you desired him to love you? That was merely part of beauty's dues, child. Why not? He's not rich enough or great enough. He cannot take me to London and make me a society queen. Certainly not. Did you expect that? True. And I did not expect to fall in love with him. But you have? Surely you have. He loves you so much. Eh, do you want me to love him? I thought you wanted him. I only want him to be happy, said Mattie, turning away with a blush. Perhaps I love him a little. I'm not capable of loving much, said Doris with exceeding frankness. My chief affections are set upon the pomps and vanities of this life, which I presume were renounced for me in my baptism. Don't be so wicked, cried the scandalized Mattie. And yet I don't know if I could say yes if Earl asked me to marry him. I might, and then repent and take it back. I suppose if he asked mother and father, they would say yes and be fearfully awkward about it. You shall not talk so about them, said Mattie indignantly. I don't feel to them as you do. Why is it? I don't feel part of the Brace family. I like you, Mattie. Father amuses me with his outspoken, homely ways. I don't consider Mother much. She is good, but commonplace, like brown bread. In fact, you're all too rustic and homely, and pious and commonsensical for wicked me. Are you done with that butter? Why don't it grow made? I'm sick of life. Earl is off to Breakberry for his mother. It's only half past eight, and I feel as if I've been up a century. 
Come with me to get blackberries. I cannot. I have much dairy work to do yet, said Maddie. I wish you would go for blackberries for supper, said Patty Brace coming in. You don't seem disposed to do anything useful, Doris. Suppose you try that. I take care of my room and my clothes, pouted Doris, and that nearly kills me. I wish I had a maid. Patty laughed. Well, child, the woods are cool and beautiful, and you're tired of doing nothing. Take this basket and try and fill it with blackberries. Fearful of being asked to do some more practical duty if she rejected this, Doris picked up the basket, put on a pair of gloves, tied her sun hat down under her distracting little chin, and set forth toward the knoll, a place famous for blackberries. The grass was long and thick. The aftermath of clover loaded the air with fragrance. Scarlet creepers ran along the hedges and at the knoll, with purple stems and green and orange leaves grew the blackberries in globules of polished jet. An inspiration of industry seized Doris, and she filled her basket. The soft little tips of her fingers were dyed crimson with the fruit. She lingered over her task. Earl might return, and it would be pleasant under the trees birds singing and grass rustling about them, while Earl talked poetry to her. But Earl did not come, and something in the silence of nature set this thoughtless creature to thinking. It was one of those solemn hours of life when our fate hangs in the balance. What of her future? What should she do with herself? Should she give up her frantic ambition, her intense desire after excitement, riches, and splendor, and accepting an honest man, settle into a simple, comfortable home, and grace it as a good wife and mother all her days? Could she do that? Should she refuse Earl Moray, on whose lips an offer of himself and his all was trembling? Should she send him away? She scarcely felt ready for that. She had grown to love him a little, just a little, but more than anyone, except herself. Should she fly this homely, quiet life, these good, uncongenial people, fly to the great city, and set out under a feigned name to make her own way in the world, as singer, actress, any wild adventurous path that might find her at least a lord for a husband. Should she? Can I give him up? Can I leave him to Mattie? Will he ever be famous and rich enough to make it worthwhile to nourish my little bit of love for him into real love, if I can ever love? Oh, for some good fairy to rise up and tell me what to do. She started in sudden fear, for surely a step was coming close to her. Someone from the other side of the coppice, who had watched her unseen, not a fairy, a gentleman, a very presentable gentleman, who said, I beg pardon, do not let me alarm you. Then the two looked at each other. 
Doris saw a handsome, middle-aged man, palette on his thumb, box of paints under his arm, portable easel in his hand, wide awake hat, velveteen suit. She promptly summed him up. Artist. He saw Doris. Doris, mold of beauty, naiad in grace, innocence in her startled eyes, face of an angel, mine of a wood nymph. He began to believe in the gods of old. He said to himself, maid or spirit, mortal or vision. Forgive me for startling you, he said, but I have been watching you as you stood under this tree. I hate to be watched, interrupted Doris. As a man, I was guilty. As an artist, guiltless. For an artist, above all things, loves and serves his art, and considers all he sees as subservient to it. I came to Downsbury in quest of studies in still life. For years I have had an ideal of a face that I wished to paint in my best mood, a face after which all should wonder. I have searched cities and country. I have wandered in my quest for that face through other lands. And when I saw you under the tree, I was all the artist, all lost in art. For yours is the face I have been seeking for my canvas. Why, do you mean I would make a picture, a real picture? demanded Doris with studied simplicity. Yes, ten thousand times yes. Under this greenwood tree, your basket at your feet, your hat swinging in your hand, your eyes lifted. Yes, a picture to be known and praised forever. Child, I will make your beauty immortal. This was what she had dreamed. A poet was singing her praises and would do so whether she played him false or not. And here was an artist to paint her for a world to admire. Could she, who so inspired men, tie herself to the narrow bounds of one humble rustic hearth? Never. May I paint you? demanded the artist. May I set you in canvas, in immortal youth and loveliness, to live years, perhaps centuries hence, in deathless beauty? The picture, the face will live, where in those far-off ages shall I be? asked Doris earnestly. Gregory Leslie thought the word and mood strange. The best part of you is immortal, he said gently. And what would you call my picture? Innocence. Yes, innocence should be its name. But what in me seems to you the image of innocence? stranger question still, but he answered it as an artist. You have an ideal brow, rounded at the temples, as the old masters painted their angels. Your eyes are large, bright, 
clear as seeing more of heaven than earth. Your lips have the most exquisite curve. The form of your face, its coloring, your hair, are all simply perfect. You shall paint my picture, cried Doris joyously, changing her mood. You need ask no consent but mine. End of chapter 12